0: What the hell is up, you guys? We are back at it with another episode. Ashley Byrne is joining me again from PETA, and we are gonna talk about some of the backlash and some of the comments that we got from our last episode, which I'll link below, and also our most recent fashion show disruption, the Coach Fashion Show everybody's talking about it. So we're going to get into it. Ashley, just for those people that may not know, why don't you just give us another introduction
1: on yourself? My name is Ashley Byrne. I'm PETA's Director of Outreach Communications. For the past 16 years, I've been with PETA working on a whole variety of campaigns, doing, you know, the demonstrations that PETA is known for out in the streets, bloody, naked, all of the above. Ashley's the mastermind behind this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can't take all the credit, but um, I, I very much enjoy uh, being one of the people who carries out these uh, <laughs> impossible to miss protests for PETA. And I'm super psyched to be back and talk about the epic New York Fashion Week coach runway disruption that our girl Jamie (laughs) pulled off with Sasha and uh, some other activist masterminds with PETA. Yes. Well done, Jamie. (laughs) Thank you.
0: And thank you for having me. I mean, PETA really was the one that reached out to me. They were like, do you want to do this? It's a high risk action. And so I joined Sasha and Rachel and we stormed the coach runway to bring awareness to the leather industry. I held a sign that says it said leather kills and Sasha had body paint. She was completely naked other than just in her underwear. And she had body paint where um, it was made to look make her look like a skinned animal. And she had lettering and and words on her that said leather kills, basically. And so why does PETA do these kind of actions? Why are these actions necessary, Ashley?
1: Well, I mean, so I think to address that, let's first of all go back to, I think, one of the main criticisms we hear of this, which I have to say... The response to this has been overwhelmingly positive, mm-hmm. supportive. Not just because it's the most exciting thing that happened at the notoriously now boring New York Fashion Week, but also because people are really starting to get it, and and they, um, you know, and they were all about seeing this. But you know, one of the criticisms that we hear sometimes is. Why this? Why can't you just, you know, go in and have a nice talk with these people? Um, (laughs) We would love to do that. (laughs) And we have done that. We do that all the time. It doesn't start with crashing the runway. Crashing the runway is is what happens way down the road. It is a last resort, people. Yes, exactly. Look, obviously... Crashing the runway makes headlines. What doesn't make headlines is the fact that, you know, long before we get to that point, PETA takes our you know the footage from our investigations. We take facts about these cruel industries and we bring them to businesses. We we send them footage. We ask to meet with them. Very often we do sit down and meet with them. We have relationships with a lot of these companies that go back many, many years, so often, the progress we make just never makes it to the headlines because it does get resolved behind the scenes mm-hmm. in the boardroom.
0: And it's only when the companies don't say we're gonna make change and continue to profit off the backs of animals does PETA step in and then take it to the next level and do disruptions because these things are uncomfortable and they do make people stop and think. They they stop normalizing people walking down a runway wearing skins of animals and it actually makes people see the skins of animals other than just thinking of it as a fabric we bring to light that the leather industry kills and it's not just coach this also goes for many other industries that use leathers and hopefully this sends a signal to other industries that consumers no longer want to wear tortured skins of animals. They want transparency in the fashion industry. And I believe that the future of fashion, it's innovative, it's compassionate, and it's cruelty-free, and it does not involve fleeting designs and fashion such as leather and fur. And by
1: the way, this is not new. PETA has been doing this since the 80s, right? Absolutely. And PETA's been doing this since the 80s, and we've made incredible progress since the 80s. We've developed these relationships with a very wide variety of different companies. We've had countless victories related to the fashion industry. Some of them have been brought about through discussions. Some of them have taken, you know, more aggressive tactics first to bring about this kind of change. You know, that's what a movement takes. Um, it, it is comprised of all different kinds of pressure. But pressure is the key word, whether that pressure is coming through emails or through jumping on a runway and refusing to be ignored. And, you know, anyone who has doubts about, about the kind of impact this can have doesn't need to look any further than at the amount of press and the kind of press that followed this disruption. I mean, you just in a matter of, you know, a few days after this happened, Vogue Business ran an article, and I believe the headline was something along the lines of, is leather as bad as fur? hmm An article like this running in Vogue Business in the middle of New York Fashion Week, that's not going to happen on its own. That happened because that topic was dragged into the spotlight Mm -hmm. this yeah
0: and and not to mention the reason that people even see fur as bad is because PETA, and activists brought it to light and brought that to attention, and they raised awareness back in the 90s and even the early 2000s that fur is dead and that it's no longer socially acceptable. So the fact that they're even making headlines that say, is leather the new fur, is major progress. And it just shows that, that you know, people didn't stop wearing fur because they didn't like the way it looked. They stopped wearing fur because they saw how cruel it was and it became socially unacceptable and that is what we are doing with leather we will do that for wool and any other industry that uses animals for fashion for food for clothing for entertainment because the truth is is that nowadays it's not necessary a lot of comments and a lot of the responses that we got were positive but some of the comments and responses we'll read to you were had to do with sustainability so Ashley Can you tell us a little bit about leather and about vegan leathers and the sustainability of
1: each of them? Absolutely. So leather, you know, I think the biggest misconception that we hear over and over again is that leather is a byproduct of the meat industry. And, you know, if if it doesn't get used, it's just going to rot. So might as well use it anyway, because, you know, it's just this, you know, it's this thing that the meat industry is going to produce no matter what. Well, the fact is leather is not a byproduct. It's a co-product of the industry. Mm-hmm. The beef industry relies on leather to stay profitable. And actually, Emma from Collective Fashion Justice, I believe that she was on the podcast recently mm-hmm. and addressed this just so perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Collective fast Fashion Justice is an incredible resource for these kind of stats. But yeah, so the fact is that when you're wearing animal skin, even if it's coming from an animal whose flesh is also being sold for meat, it is absolutely tied to the profitability of raising and killing that animal. So there is no there is no innocent way to take an animal's skin. There there's no way when you uh, you know when you buy leather that you're not supporting the slaughter of that animal, that you're not supporting that animal being raised and abused and slaughtered. It is it is a part of the process that these companies depend on for profits. So never think that you can just buy leather and you're not really part of the problem. You absolutely are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, vegan leather is so another misconception people like to say you know the leather industry likes to say that vegan leather is plastic it's bad for the environment it's not sustainable well let's break down a few things here first of all the fact is that when you look at the actual statistics even the most old school vegan leather like the old yes petroleum-based like you know just plain old pea you know
0: polyurethane. polyurethane
1: vegan leather it's actually still not as bad for the environment as animal based leather because you want to think about all the elements going into this you know i think that a lot of people now realize that factory farming is devastating for the environment well where do you think that leather's coming from it it the entire factory farming process it goes into producing leather Then you take that leather and it would literally be rotting in your closet if it wasn't treated with all kinds of toxic chemicals to preserve it. So, you know, it's treated with all these chemicals and dyes, which besides being an absolute nightmare for the environment, polluting the groundwater and the soil in, you know, in the areas around where this process is done, making the workers who work with it and the people who live around these areas sick. And a lot of times it's even children working in these facilities. So, but yeah, so so there's that stage of this, which is also terrible for the environment. But even if you're just looking at, you know, just the the you know carbon footprint mm-hmm. because of this whole factory farming process it is still worse than plain old you know like like the kind of vegan leather that you've seen for decades however and this to me is the case with so many um, animal products there's really only so much they can do like there it's always the same old bad product from Whatever, whether you're talking about the meat industry, the leather industry, you know, you're always getting, they can dress it up with these, you know, words that sound nicer, but no matter what, you're always getting the same old bad product. But Vegan products keep getting better. Mm-hmm. They keep getting better for the environment, they keep getting more innovative, they keep coming up with new ways to produce vegan materials. So now we have things like mushroom leather and pineapple leather and cactus leather and all these different kinds of leathers that are made from you know from fruit waste or you know from plants and that are not just not as bad for the environment as leather but they're actually much mm-hmm. much better and it's only going to keep getting better and of course you know all these other technologies are being worked with right now like they're learning to grow leather in labs just like they're learning to grow meat in laboratories then you know all these other really innovative incredible things and you even you know you have leather that involves using recycled plastic bottles just vegan leather has so many ways that it's not only better now, but that it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's so exciting.
0: First of all, guys, I hope that that clarifies the comments about sustainability, leather versus vegan leather. And I hope that that we stop trying to compare the two, and I hope that we can start seeing that vegan leather is more sustainable. Even, more, even the worst kind of vegan leather is more sustainable than cow skin leather. However, we did this disruption holding a sign, bringing attention to the fact that cows are killed by the leather industry. This was not about the environment. This was not about sustainability. This was about the animals. And the sign literally just said leather kills. So I don't understand what there is to
1: argue about that. That is a fact. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't it funny that like that's so basic and yet people, you know, are like, oh, gasp, why, why? Well, Yes. It kills. You're killing an animal. You're killing an animal and, and that animal is suffering in unimaginable ways that you would never want to go through yourself. That alone, that's enough. It, like, we don't need to offer any other reason. That's enough. That's wrong. That's
0: what I'm saying. So it's like, I feel like there were so many times where people were trying to deflect from the actual issue at hand. So I'll give you another example. A lot of people were extremely disturbed by how I was taken off the stage. I, we made it around, I made it around three laps. Sasha actually made it around four because I think they literally thought she was part of the show. (laughs) (laughs) And so by the third lap, when the guy grabbed me, he grabbed me, uh, you know, he kind of tackled me like an NFL player which you didn't need to do that. But I do think that because these industries, they kill animals and have no problem with that. They're violent. They don't actually care about how they're handling women. Somebody commented, they're like, she's 115 pounds. Like, why are you using such excessive force? However, I responded in a comment on that page, on the cut magazine that has over 4 million views on their Instagram page. I said, you know, I appreciate everybody's concern for how I was handled off of the stage, but why are we deflecting from the actual issue at hand? Two minutes of me being carried off stage in an aggressive manner, it's not nice, but it's nothing in comparison to a cow's entire life of suffering, of being confined, of being killed and having their skin ripped from their bodies. What? Why are we even... Like, that is where the focus should be.
1: Absolutely. Although, you know, I really do feel like the the sympathy towards you indicates, it goes to show that people's views are shifting. People's Mm. sympathies are shifting. And instead of saying good for security, like she shouldn't have been there, let the fashion show go on, I think a lot of people had the instinct of sympathizing with you because they were like, yeah, actually what she's saying makes sense. There were quite a few comments of people saying
0: she's right or there were a lot of comments of people saying that I was serving (laughs) cunt. well that's what you do at fashion week (laughs) which I was like is is that a good thing I I've never heard the c word used in a good way but I've learned new terms apparently or slaying and what I ate the runway is another way
1: (laughs) I think you did (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thank you, yeah. I'm I'm so glad to hear it and I guess I want to tell you guys what that experience was like because the main, I wasn't extremely nervous walking. I think by the time we finally made it up on the catwalk, I was just relieved to finally be up holding the sign, letting people see the message. The scariest part was feeling that we weren't going to get in and pass security and not able to actually go and do the disruption. So of course, a good magician never re- reveals their secrets. We can't can't give away exactly how we got in, but I can say that playing the part, acting confident, dressing up, and just you know being on the down low helps.
1: <laughs> I think this is something that's very key too, because the the anti animal rights people always want to paint activists as these scary. You know, we talked about it. Oh, PETA. You know these these like these scary people who are so different from you you know like no god you don't want anything to do with them because they are crazy they you know they want to take everything good and fun away from you they want you to wear a burlap sack and live in a cave and (laughs) and eat parsley for the rest of your life Oh, oh my god and i think and I think that, I don't think they're looking for, you know, they're not expecting you. You know what I mean? They're like, okay, well, we'll keep an eye out for these. <laughs> we'll keep, <laughs> a- <Man-like people. laughs> keep an eye out for these. You know, these scary PETA activists.
0: <laughs> oh God, it's like we're just advocating for kindness towards animals and somehow that makes us the outliers and weirdos yeah. and extremists and freaks. It's like... Okay, seriously, we're nothing, like, we're just normal people that don't want to see animals be decapitated.
1: And on that note, really, what kind of person does want to see that? How are we, how are we the ones who are getting painted as, like, we're unusual because, hmm, yeah, I don't know, somehow, like, ripping a cow's skin off so somebody can have a handbag seems a little excessive to me, but... So there were
0: some people on the post that said, "What this is extreme, you know, you're disrupting somebody's artwork, you're disrupting a show that people worked really hard for. There were models that could have gotten more attention or gotten signed. And I'm like, you know what? Sit your ass down. We were up there for a minute and a half. Like, chill the fuck out, also, first of all. Also, yeah, we weren't disruptive at all, actually. We just walked with them. We didn't even say a word. And these are the same people that are sitting behind their computers, commenting, you should be doing this, you should be doing that, yet they probably eat meat they probably are not sustainable at all in their daily lives. And they probably have never done activism in their lives. So I usually just respond to them and, I'm, and I'll and i be like, why don't you do what you see
1: best and what you see fit? And please, you make headlines. Yes.
0: I would love to see it for
1: the animals. Absolutely. Yeah. Plan something. I'll come. <laughs> just let me know. I'm, I'm ready. We'll be there. Yeah. I may just put it in my calendar. Just let me know. <laughs> let me know when you get off your ass and actually plan the thing that you're saying we should be doing.
0: It's not as easy as it looks, you guys. Like, Ashley and the PETA team, they work sometimes sleepless nights. I mean, these are things that are, are very well planned, thought out. I mean, there's times where you have to get a press release out at middle of the night where you're working on things. So... Yeah, like, please. It's like these people don't have any idea what goes into
1: it. Also, though, complaining about people being disruptive. You know what? If you were the one being loaded onto a truck and then seeing your family killed in front of you and then having your skin ripped off while you might not even be dead yet you'd probably want someone to be disruptive for you. Right, you know, like right. I
0: I would. It's easy to say these things when you're not the victim. Right, exactly. There were actually people commenting, are you wearing leather shoes though? I'm holding a goddamn leather kills sign. Leather coach, leather kills. and. People are asking me if I'm wearing leather shoes.
1: Also, what where are these people living and existing where they don't realize that fake leather exists? Yes. Like like what world are you in where you're you're on Instagram, it's yeah. 2023. I you know, you Somehow you don't realize that leather exists that's not made from, yes, you, I mean,
0: most of them do. Oh, whoops, sorry, I forgot to take my leather shoes off before I just planned an entire anti-leather protest. Come on, please, use your brain. You kill me. I, I, like that, I'll, I just don't even know what to say to those things because I don't want to be. Like, I just say, you got me. Like, right? Like at that point, I'm just, I have to use sarcasm and just like, it's such stupidity.
1: Because I don't want to be an asshole and be like, are you really that stupid? But I, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. You're not really that dumb, are you? <laughs> like, but I'm just, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to try to be constructive, but come on. Yeah. Re- like, really?
0: Or sometimes I'll just comment, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't even just des- <laughs> You don't deserve... <laughs> you get one syllable. That's all you get it's for hard. saying something that dumb. Yeah, yes. you. you
0: don't deserve a whole explanation. <laughs>
1: You're too far gone.
0: <laughs>
1: okay, you're actually too far gone. You just deserve no. exactly kind of like yeah with your boyfriend. If you're at the point where you're giving him like a like a one like one word yeah. one syllable to like you're in trouble. He knows you're he's in, in trouble. trouble if that's all you're getting from me, yeah, yeah. If you might
0: actually start using your full name and responding in just one syllable. Yeah, yeah. yeah then they're... you're
1: then yeah. buckle up.
0: Buckle. <laughs> 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 Poor guy. Yeah. But nothing really? that he's ever said has been that, as bad as some of that, those oh stupid comments. Yeah. <laughs> no, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. And so being that we speak up on multiple different issues, I want to talk a little bit about things that we were discussing in our last podcast episode yeah. and some of the pushback that we got from that. So a lot of people will come at me, they're like, Jamie, like you're this activist, but why do you support PETA? Peta kills. Peta does this. So Ashley and I, in our episode, "The Truth About Peta," is what it's called. You can go back and and watch it. We discuss all different topics from, you know, the where the even where the, these these excuses and stereotypes even came from about. PETA activists and you know we found out through Ashley that the meat industry actually puts a lot of this propaganda out because they feel threatened by PETA
1: and the fur industry and, and the, the fur speaking industry. of fashion
0: week exactly yeah. exactly so there were definitely a few subjects and topics that we didn't even get to or didn't even get to touch upon but we wanted to like read through some of the comments that we got on our last podcast episode mm-hmm. it was so interesting because yeah, Ashley's gonna pull them up. But it's like as we were sitting there disputing all of these like fake and all of these these myths that people were saying about PETA, they were actually saying this the thing the the same thing that we were just disputing. I'm like, you're not listening. Right,
1: yeah. Well, and actually, wait, first, one of the ones that I'll just address right away, because we we meant to get into it last time and we didn't, was all the mm-hmm. time what you'll hear is You know, PETA doesn't want you to have dogs or cats. Like PETA's anti-pet, anti, anti, you know, okay. So PETA does not want you to commodify dogs and cats. Mm. PETA does not want you to breed animals for the purpose of, of keeping them as pets. On the other hand, PETA absolutely encourages people who have the time and the resources and the patience and the commitment to adopt to adopt homeless dogs and cats and other companion animals who are desperate for homes because of the people commodifying and breeding and selling animals in pet stores or out of their backyards or whatever. Um, and it's so funny because you know I can't tell you how many times I've read comments like this and I've been like in a PETA office with. A bunch of people's dogs running around. And I'm like, oh, too bad, too bad PETA doesn't believe in dogs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) PETA wants to kill all the dogs and kidnap them. That was one of the things I was seeing on on our post was that PETA goes and kidnaps Dogs. dogs. Which right. Where does that even come from?
1: I really wish that anybody who is repeating that kind of misinformation would just go to our website. And watch the annual recap videos from our community animal project and see PETA, like, first of all, providing, you know, free and low-cost spay-neuter surgeries for all of these animals who desperately need it in areas that desperately need it. And then also going through neighborhoods, um, you know, in, in places where, People really very often still treat animals like just objects. They're they're just like a security alarm mm-hmm. on a chain in the backyard, you know? And PETA will go. So often, these PETA field workers are the only ones who ever give these dogs any affection, attention, just... I mean, they, they're the ones checking to be sure that they have food and water and that they, they have shade from the sun. They'll deliver free dog houses. They'll deliver straw in the winter so these animals are a little less freezing outside. Because unfortunately, you know, it, it, it is... I mean, they, they find laws being broken, but a lot of the worst cruelty is unfortunately still perfectly legal Mm -hmm. i mean dogs are pack animals it is the height of cruelty to force them to live by themselves outside to not give them any love attention Mm -hmm. um it, it is it is just unbelievable mental and emotional cruelty and so you'll see you watch these videos of these dogs who are so overjoyed When these PETA field workers come out, maybe give them the the first toy they've ever had, you know, and give them belly rubs and like all these other things that I think most of us take for granted. Like, of course you do that for a dog. Well, actually, you know, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And it's just these are the people who are being demonized.
0: Right. The people that are helping the animals the most. And it's like, I'm sorry, but if you eat animals, you actually have no goddamn right to say anything about how PETA people should be treating animals. Like you are not, you are the last person I would take advice from for any sort of animal (laughs) advocacy. Like you eat them, you kill them and eat them. So sit down. Number one. (laughs) Number 1 and number 2 to address the, the the claims that we had discussed in our last podcast episode about how PETA kills animals. When you look at the shelter numbers, the only reason that euthanasia rates are high is because PETA takes in all the dogs in that every single dog that comes to them or a cat that right. comes. If to if you
1: them. if you bring in an elderly animal who is on death's door or who has a catastrophic injury, right. who unfortunately right now a lot of shelters will turn away if you just bring because because they're so afraid of being labeled a kill shelter, if you bring that animal to PETA, PETA will provide them a humane, peaceful euthanasia, you know, right. that, that so often is is what their guardian is looking for and maybe can't afford or, you know, mm-hmm. and so um because because we're not gonna worry about we're not gonna put PR ahead of the suffering of these animals. Right. And if the animal actually does have a shot at being adopted, we're going to, you know, redirect them to a place where they actually have a better shot at that happening. But we're not we're not going to turn animals away at the door, which is happening way too often right now because we're like, oh, well, that'll make our numbers look bad. No, because animals aren't numbers. They're individuals. And their individual suffering matters. Right.
0: And there's many instances where the dogs might have behavioral issues. You don't know what the situation is at hand. And being that PETA is taking everyone in, the rates happen to be higher because of that. And there are circumstances, like Ashley was saying, where senior dogs are put down. Behavioral dogs have to be put down. It's just, there's no more space in these shelters. We're in a crisis right now. You go around to any shelter, especially in the South, they're killing dogs just for space.
1: Yes, and I was about to say, that's the other thing that I think we need to address. The fact that, yes, let's be real. Like, open admissions shelters are faced with the fact that sometimes they do have to put healthy otherwise adoptable animals down because of space, but you know what, that's not their fault. And demonizing shelter workers Mm -hmm. over that is so indefensible because really, you know whose fault that is? Everyone who's buying a purebred dog from a breeder or a pet store, all these people who should know better, I can't believe how many people right now are like, while the shelters are overflowing with dogs who need homes, they're like, well, I'm going to go, you know, buy the same doodle that everyone in my neighborhood has or, you know, little like purse dog. Literally, you could, you could adopt those dogs too. Un- unfortunately, or fortunately, you could adopt any, any, any kind of dog because so many people just buy them like commodities, like objects without thinking and then, you know get annoyed when they actually turn out to be living beings with needs and personalities and you know who cost money and 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 do give them up so yeah and yeah it's it's very easy for me to rant about this because it's so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, it's
0: like having a child, right, when you get a dog. And and absolutely, it is very frustrating because you hear the same excuses over and over and over again. And Ashley, to be honest with you, it's just people that are deflecting and trying to take the blame away from them. And it's them not wanting to look internally and say, you know what, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like this, they are right that eating animals is, is cruel and, and not very nice and that, you know, wearing leather does kill. And by by... Blaming PETA by be demonizing PETA that allows them to take responsibility off of themselves, right? For or the or, harm. or
1: vegans, vegans. How many times yeah. have you heard, like, well, I'm not vegan because I because a vegan did something once that I didn't like, so you know, so I, I I'm not vegan now. I mean. Do you, do you apply this logic to like, to like child abuse or, you know, to like, like to organizations that, you know, that feed starving children or to like Habitat for Humanity? Well, an activist for fair housing did something I didn't like once. So I want everyone to be homeless. You know, like, what the fuck? It doesn't make any sense. Um, Just the absurdity of of that argument like okay i'm i'm sorry a vegan like hurt your feelings or did something you thought was uncool once should every animal now suffer because of that like right and it's like babe you are not the victim <laughs> right here. exactly the
0: animal that is suff- that suffered because of your actions is the yes. victim you right. so yes. let's not you know Let's not blame the vegan for just pointing that out. We're simply the messenger, simply the messenger just telling you, hey, you know, Bob, like that steak that you ate last night, that was once a living, breathing, thinking being that wanted to live. And now Bob's like, well, I now I'm, ne- I'm going to eat a, a ton of cows
1: because you just said that. Also, also if you're following the logic, like if if you're really upset cuz some vegan did, you know, like did something you thought was politically wrong or socially wrong or just personally wrong, instead of taking it out on the animals, wouldn't wouldn't the actual logical conclusion of that be that you should eat them? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Or that. I'm, I'm not advocating for that. But like, I'm just saying that they're really missing a step in their reasoning if they're like, well, this vegan did something that upset me. So animals are going to die.
0: No, it's like animals that did nothing to any of us. And so PETA brings these issues to light in the most creative ways possible. And I guess one thing I've been wanting to ask you is like, out of all of your years at PETA, you've been at PETA for over a decade. What is it? Fifteen years? Over
1: sixteen years. Over
0: sixteen years, you've been with PETA. What are some of like the biggest victories, the biggest events, and 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 actions that got the biggest headlines, and why? Like, what gets headlines?
1: That's a great question. That is a really, really good question. Um, you've seen a lot of victories. Oh my god, I've seen I've seen so many. I've seen countless. I'm constantly seeing victories, large and small. One of the ones that I always go back to is Ringling Brothers. Mm. Ringling Brothers first announcing that they were going to retire their elephants. And then, I believe within a year, just announcing that they were shutting down completely. And now, actually, we've heard that they're coming back without any animals because that is that is what people want to see. But this came after I had been at PETA many years. And Ringling... I mean, I I had done so much work um, in in terms of like protesting on this Mm -hmm. campaign and especially my first year at PETA. Oh my God, I spent so much time on the road doing these Ringling Brothers protests. I mean, pretty much everyone in campaigns had put in, because the thing is they were constantly on tour and we had Mm -hmm. protests outside of basically every show. What were things that you would see at these Ringling Brothers shows? Well, one thing, so we weren't just protesting at the shows. What we were also doing was, you know, they would transport the animals by train Mm -hmm. and that meant that they would have to transport them in each city from the train tracks to whatever venue they were performing at and so what PETA started doing way back was um, they would usually walk the elephants through most towns they would do it a lot of the time as a promotional thing you know like the elephant walk through town they would make it like a parade to you know kind of hype people up for the circus well what PETA started doing was recording these walks so that we could see injuries on the elephants, we could see bull hook marks, you know, that they would kind of cover up with this like gray dust. But, um, you know, we could see which elephants were becoming lame. Um, And we would report these things to the USDA, which, you know, I mean, take a lot of work to get them to do anything, but we would, um, that's what we would do. So we would get footage of every single elephant walk. And of course, at a certain point, they caught on. And so actually, in a lot of cities, what they started doing was trying to bring them through late at night when no one was around. So I can't tell you how many times I was with, you know, like interns or, you know, like maybe like one other campaigner sleeping in a car next to the railroad tracks, like waiting for these trains to come in or these elephants to leave so that we could run alongside them um, recording them. And my my first... Um, my first birthday after I started working at PETA, um, I mean, I guess I, at that point I had been there like maybe eight months or something. And I was actually in Richmond, Virginia, and I was with like two interns and like a junior training campaigner. And I was still new, but I was, you know, mm-hmm. training her. And we were um, and we were waiting, you know, for a couple of days for, for this walk to happen like I said, you know, just like up, like taking, taking little naps, but pretty much up, you know, for 24 hours at a time, like just because we didn't want to miss it. And yeah, like sleeping in shifts in the car. And, and finally, like on my birthday, you know, it actually happened. It was the first time I had, I had actually done one of these. And, and, you know, I remember just, you know, running alongside, The elephants and filming and, you know, of course their handlers are the most cruel, absolutely like jaded people you could ever imagine. So they're saying nasty things. They're making like disgusting sexual comments at like me and the other women saying threatening things to like, you know, the guy who's with us and, you know, like slurs and you know just I mean literally every just every disgusting thing you could imagine and but I mean to me I was like whatever call me what you want but I'm just thinking these poor elephants are at the mercy of these people constantly and running alongside and just looking at these elephants who just look so broken and the thing is like I was in you know I I was leading like I was the one in charge I was leading this so I kind of had to like I had to keep it together and you know Mm be encouraging and whatever. We got the footage. I got everybody back to the hotel room. I was like, all right, everyone get ready. We're, you know, we finally did this. We'll go out to dinner. You know, great job. You guys, you guys are incredible. And I meant all that sincerely. And I was like, I just need to go make a phone call. (laughs) And I went to the car and called my mom and broke Mm. down. I was just like, oh my God, their eyes were just, it, it, it killed me. But um, but it just, it, it's more inspiration to keep, you know. And so, I mean, I spent the next several years doing so many of these elephant walks, these protests. and And, you know, and that's another one where it would feel like you were just living Groundhog Day, like the same day over and over because you would just be outside another venue and you'd be just watching people walk in again and thinking, how is anyone still doing this? And of course, at that point, they were giving away so many tickets for free just to fill seats, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but I mean, still, you know, and it was just exhausting. And the, the people who were actually still willing to go so often were, again, just so jaded and would just be saying the worst things because honestly, most of the compassionate people wanted nothing to do with it. So the people you were actually getting out there, like the last people on earth who were supporting this were not kind people at all. It was a draining experience. And I mean, it was one of those things where we just kept going and kept going. But I remember just this feeling of like, I always knew that this would end eventually. But I remember seeing that as something that was going to happen way in the future. Mm -hmm. And then one Saturday night, I was hanging out, you know, at my boyfriend at the Times house with one of my best friends who actually had worked for PETA before and worked specifically on that campaign for years. And suddenly, I looked at my phone, and there was this email about th- that they were retiring the elephants, and we just lost. It. I was, it. I was in shock. I mean, I just couldn't. Like, I mean, so much of the pressure is the reason why, right? Right. No, ex- ex- thanks ex- to you. No, I mean that. That was the thing. It was like they had to retire the elephants because people i mean they were never going to say this they were never going to say well Peter," you know but they had yeah. that that was why they had to do it mm. um and then a very short time later they just shut down entirely and i just remember thinking like okay this the the world that we've been fighting for is not like, it's not a far off future, you know, like fantasy thing. We are bringing it about. We are, we are fighting for this to happen in real time. We're making history, you know, and, and I mean, obviously that's unpredictable, but, and the thing is we were like, well, if Ringling, if Ringling stops using animals, eventually It's just going to have an industry-wide impact. And I mean, and we've seen other smaller circuses having to do the same thing, phasing out these acts. Mm. And actually just, I think this week, it was confirmed that Universal Circus is now traveling without any animals, Mm. which is another Mm. campaign that was going on for a long time. Mm. And it was like they had, you know, they kind of kept having fewer and fewer animals, you know, and, but, but you know, activists are relentless and we're hanging in there and protesting until they were all gone. And now, I mean, it's confirmed that they're all gone. So that's a very long answer to the fact that I think the Ringling, I think that that to me was a landmark victory because it showed that something may take years. It may take decades. You may have to literally be out feeling like you're doing the same thing over and over again, you know, just yeah. like, it may feel like Groundhog Day, but the the needle is moving.
0: Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing it, who who is doing it? Right. And I think with any form of activism, you need a side that's a little bit more extreme, that pushes people's nerves, that really, you know, makes people uncomfortable, and that creates that that need for these industries to change because they don't want to keep having people disrupt right? Whereas like, yes, and then you also need, you know, people who are more in support of like speaking to businesses, which PETA does, but there's also other organizations that remain just on that level of like, you know, shooting emails back and forth, hopping on meetings, talking about vegan products and vegan sustainability, right? But we need
1: the extreme industry and PETA is that and PETA does it well. Thank you. Yes. And that's what that's part of the reason I love working with peta because exactly you need all you need all levels you need the whole range but someone has to be willing to kick down the door you right. know someone has to be willing to kick down the door so someone else can walk through politely you know yes. and i think people lose sight of that sometimes the fact that these industries a big corporation doesn't change to be nice. They change because you make them change. Right. Either because of, or, or, you know, usually because of a mix of public opinion turning so hard against them that they start to lose money, but also because, you know, if you just make things very difficult for them. Um, they don't change because they're just warm, fuzzy, cuddly entities that just want to do the right thing no No.
0: yeah if they were then they wouldn't have done that to animals (laughs) in the begin to begin with yeah exactly (laughs) it is it is so frustrating and you know i think we do have to develop this thick skin as activists. And, you know, we're doing all of this hard work. We're having sleepless nights. We're doing anything and everything we can to speak up about these issues. But a lot of times we're we're met with resistance and we're met with really nasty comments. And Sasha was really upset about a lot of the backlash that she felt that she got from the coach video of people body shaming.
1: Seriously? Yeah. Yes. I mean, she's fucking perfect gorgeous she is gorgeous but you know that's the thing it's more of what you're talking about about deflection when people don't want to hear something they will go in every direction to avoid hearing it and a lot of times that is about getting personal and it doesn't have to be grounded in truth at all Mm -hmm. they'll get sexist they'll get nasty they'll get they'll body shame they'll Mm -hmm. they will say anything they can think Mm -hmm. of to avoid dealing with the truth
0: yeah I try in my responses to a lot of these comments to either go one of two ways. I'm very snarky and I'm very just like, you're not the victim here. Next. What's your next point? Uh, or I'll try to really be just factual and be like, no, actually polyurethane, which is the worst form of vegan leather, is actually better than cowskin leather or things like that, that actually I can back up with facts, cite the source. And that way it's like you can't even argue it. So you just sound so dumb. And not only that so that the person that commented that could see it, but so that when other people see
1: the conversation, I'm not looking I'm not stooping down to their level. Totally. Absolutely. I think that's so important. I mean, and I think that part of the in- intent is to drag us down to their level. So then they can say, "Oh, well, see. You're you're not such a great person," you know, or whatever, like you're you're, you know, they want to label just telling them the truth as somehow this high standard, you know, like, "Oh, like you're holier than thou." And it's like, "Well, no, it's just the truth. If you mm. choose to ignore it, and you feel bad about that? Well, maybe you should examine why. But yeah. that's—I'm just giving you facts. Yeah, people will oftentimes
0: come at us and say, "Well, you have an iPhone. You're wearing clothes that were from, you know, H&M that were fast fashion. This is and that." And they use all these excuses to continue justifying animal abuse. Ashley, if somebody came to me and said, "Jamie, you could buy this product that's going to be better for the environment. That's not going to hurt animals," and that is available i would buy it yes absolutely and it's the same thing that goes with animal products if i i don't need to buy the animal products anymore i'm not going to right. because somebody told me that it causes animals to suffer so i'm not going to buy it so it's like they bring up all of these excuses and they oftentimes bring my race into it and say oh like you're a white privileged bitch oh that thinks that she can just go and storm this fucking runway and it's like i did none of this for myself
1: this brings up some of the comments I think uh, I don't care if you're purple you shouldn't be fucking hurting animals so so one of the comments on the coach disruption so it's such a position of white privilege to go on about veganism and plastic bags yeah you know what it is the height of white privilege to criticize coach (laughs) because these these like these oppressed indigenous executives um, making these coach bags how dare you how dare
0: you exactly the indigenous tribes of coach (laughs) (laughs) like
1: (laughs) it is white privilege to go after these these underprivileged executives at coach and and their their you know leather leather bags that they're making in a very you know traditional indigenous way in their like factory, wherever. Yeah.
0: Shame. And it's kind of weird to even bring my race into it. Cause you're basically assuming that a person of color wouldn't do what I did. And it's like, what? Like, first of all, Sasha is not white. She's half Mexican. Okay. And also it's, there's a lot of different activists of color, you know, that would have gone up and do this. It has nothing to do with whether I'm white or black or Asian or what when, when
1: people try to write veganism or animal rights off as a white thing it's offensive for so many reasons but especially the fact that it literally erases so many black activists so many leaders in the vegan movement who are black so many cultures that are who are that are not white that have been eating plant-based foods for so long it just it erases those people
0: and all the work that they're doing. And I also yeah. want to say that
1: majority of vegans
0: are people of color.
1: The idea that being kind, the idea that being ethical, the idea that like not wanting to cause unnecessary harm is a white thing. I mean, that is, yeah, that's racist in a really disgusting way. Mm-hmm. It's it's offensive and, I mean, stupid. But the fact that people will say that with a straight face It's just it's I'm just like you're insulting so many people who've dedicated their lives to this who are not white, like just just trying to wipe them out of existence so you can make a stupid point.
0: Yeah. And continue trying to justify your actions like you just sound extremely insensitive and dumb. Yeah that to me is really that that really makes me angry
1: (sighs) yeah exactly i mean it's just i always respond to people
0: i'm like what happened in your life to make you so hateful I'm so sorry. Like, I am so sorry, genuinely, that you feel the need to come onto my fucking page and comment, like, just horrible things either about the way I look or the way that, that about what I'm doing or just personal attacks that, like, have nothing to do with the actual subject matter at hand. Like, I'm so sorry that you are so insecure that you have to project your insecurities onto me. Right. You don't know me. Somebody commented, they're like, she is an eating disorder. Veganism is an eating disorder. <laughs> How many fucking times have you heard this? It's like, pick and choose your battle. Like, first you say veganism is an eating disorder. Another time you're saying that we're forcing it down your throat. It's like, what, what? is it? Right, like
1: yeah. yeah. Which, which, well, and it's like, I mean... Uh, the, I I think so often too people want to equate it with these you know it, it's like some health blogger um, who does have an eating disorder will yeah. you know will will get sick or die and people will be like well they were a vegan well yeah. vegan dies from malnutrition yeah. vegan <laughs> vegan by like by way of the fact that I mean if you're if you're if you're not eating then yeah, sure, you're not eating animals. Vegan in that way. I mean, you're also you're also probably gluten-free. Like, I mean, you know what I'm it's it's like if you're like not eating, having an eating disorder, you're you're by default following a lot of dietary restrictions. It's you can't line the two
0: up, which has nothing to do with veganism. No. Veganism is not a diet. It's an ethical standpoint. So, I could call myself plant-based and only eat cucumbers and a few pieces of spinach every day. <laughs> And that probably quantifies an eating disorder. But that has nothing to do with veganism because you can also be plant-based and vegan and eat an abundance of fruits and vegetables and grains and nuts and seeds like... And
1: be super healthy. The carnivore diet is an an eating disorder. The carnivore diet is an eating disorder if there ever was one. How disgusting.
0: Oh, my God. I mean, keto crotch? (laughs) So nasty. I don't even want to know. I've never been close to a keto crotch. Oh,
1: God. No, and I don't intend to be ever, (laughs) ever, ever. (laughs) Never
0: happening. Um, that is disgusting. I can only imagine. But yeah, I completely agree. So it's like, where are all the the people, the eating disorder, you know, fanatics that are really concerned? Why aren't you going after the people that literally only eat organs all day?
1: When, when, right. When people who are honest about this will say that these people literally just like, just have like, just, just shit liquid shit like all the time these people their bodies are in such bad shape that's what i've heard that yeah i mean they're 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 yeah i mean on top of which they're all taking steroids too because come on
0: yeah and then they're like oh my god carnism cured all of my diseases (laughs) you're eating death you're eating a rotting corpse i promise you like a fruit and a vegetable won't hurt you.
1: also you've been doing it for six months call me in like a year when, yeah, <laughs> and and then let's talk. That is an eating disorder, but, you know, I mean, it's one that I guess maybe because it's primarily men doing it, it doesn't get talked about as much. But, I mean, you have to be seriously dealing with some body dysmorphia and um, just, just, general delusion to to espouse a diet like that
0: yeah exactly talk to us in 20 years I love those memes that like show a vegan and it's like me with my best friend from high school and it's like the 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 vegan looks like she's 12 and then the non-vegan is like 75 <laughs> <laughs> I know. do you know the meme talk yeah, about. oh yeah absolutely
1: yeah definitely. I do
0: feel like that's so true like I'm 25 and I went vegan six years ago and I feel like I am still Still in in the shape that I was in six years ago, I feel as good as I did, you know, when I was in, in my teens. Oh when yeah, I went vegan, so yeah, I think that th- when you look at vegans that have been vegan for for long term, a lot of them
1: look amazing. Yeah, I I feel like I actually was stronger and more athletic in my thirties. I mean, I went vegan in high school, but. Um, oh, wow. But I just feel like it it kept me in the kind of shape where I could just, you know, I could start running seven miles a day, mm-hmm. you know, out of the blue and I could do it because because I wasn't dealing with all these issues that all these other people I knew were complaining about. You know, I just I just didn't have those Problems.
0: So, I mean, in our last episode, you guys, go check it out. Ashley talked about how and why she went vegan. It had to do with the dog meat industry, and she saw dogs being slaughtered, and that made her make the decision over time to ultimately go vegan. But what we didn't get to in the last episode was some of your favorite beauty hacks, some of your favorite, you know recipes and just the benefits that you've experienced after going vegan like what are some tips that you can offer people whether it's in the makeup space the food space and clothing space
1: i mean well first of all i think that people who aren't really familiar with you know this lifestyle it can seem so overwhelming it can sound like so daunting and they're just like oh my god do i have to think about this for everything do i have to change everything i'm doing We're living in a time when it's actually so easy. I mean, if you walk into, you know, Sephora or just or any, you know, Ulta, any, the drugstore. I mean, brands now are shouting from the rooftops if they're cruelty free. They want everyone to know and vegan too. Like they're, you know, they want to label things vegan and cruelty free. And so you can just walk in and you're going, you're going to see the label everywhere and to help you even more there are just so many apps and resources and of course like PETA is a great example because you know we have our cruelty-free vegan logo that you can look for on products you can actually look on our website um, and you know we have an app that you can download and you know you can see lists of companies you can look up who does test who doesn't test like who's all vegan who's not all vegan but maybe you know has some vegan products like Um, And is cruelty free. I mean, it just, it's all broken down there. And so the thing is, like, it's not like you have to be, you know, it's not like you have to expect to go into a store and be like, just reading every single, you know, ingredient and knowing what things are and looking things up. No, now... Companies make it easy for you, and organizations like PETA make it easy for you. The information is there. Because, I mean, I think cruelty-free cosmetics is a great example. They know that's what people want. They know that people don't want products that are tested on animals. And I mean, of course, obviously, that doesn't mean that every brand has stopped. There Mm -hmm. are still some major brands doing it, especially ones that are um, currently selling in China. But, you know, the fact is, Whatever, if you find out that a brand you love is testing, it's really, really easy to replace them with one that's not.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you find what your brands are, and I stick to them. I mean, even the drugstore brands like Wet n Wild and ELF have really good makeup products. I love their concealers, I love their mascaras. It's cheap, it it
1: looks good, I think. Yeah, no, those companies are great. I mean, and yeah or or if you're shopping in a place like sephora actually you can either look on their website or ask the person helping you they can find out immediately if something's yeah. vegan they will tell you because it matters so much to consumers that they have that information
0: so what's your walk us through like your skincare and your makeup routine like what are your favorite brands and products
1: you know you know I, years ago i was just using all these kind of like very expensive complicated products and then somehow, kind of by a fluke, I actually realized that the face wash that really worked the best for me was just desert essence tea tree oil face wash. It is it's so simple. Like it's so simple, it's so cheap. You can get it at Whole Foods, you can get it at, you know, I think you can get it at Target. Like it it just was perfect. It did wonders. I had been using like, I can't remember what it was, but something expensive that I had to order and I was just like, oh my god, I started using it and everybody was like, Whoa, your skin, what did you do? Yeah, your skin looks amazing. Thank
0: it has such a nice glow to it
1: too. And so does yours. I, vegan, because I, I, I think we both know that what you put in yes. has everything to do with that. Yes. But I do need to de-stress. I feel like I've I've been breaking out a little
0: bit these past couple of months and it's due to all the travel and just not really being on a
1: consistent, healthy diet, really. Like I mean, well and you know, I think and I think that's more reason than ever why like the the lifestyle things that we do have, it's they help us so much because I also, you know, I'm constantly traveling, yes. you know, obviously like have a job that keeps me on my toes. So the fact that we are ultimately, you know, it, like probably by default eating so much healthier. Like I feel like for us probably when we're like, oh, I haven't really been eating that healthy that week. We're This week we're probably still eating healthier than like yeah. just because we're vegan and we're eating a balanced diet. We're probably doing better than like, you know, so much of of like the country where they're like, you know.
0: Oh, I was shocked when I was in Oklahoma this summer. I was shooting a documentary for work, and we were going to these restaurants, and just seeing what was on people's plates was horrifying. Oh, God. <sighs> oh, God is right. <laughs> People would order, like, these, like, cheese bowls at this Mexican place and just, like, dip
1: their chips in there and then, like,
0: piles and piles of animal flesh. I'm like, oh. what the
1: f- fuck like look I love like the vegan Super Bowl snacks you know I'm not eating a salad on on you know I'm not gonna watch the game either but I'm not gonna eat a salad on Super Bowl Sunday I'm gonna eat like you know I'm gonna make like the mountain of vegan nachos (laughs) I'm
0: like wait I'm just picturing Ashley sitting there in a jersey and like a a little fan foam ring a little foam hand I'm a number one fan it's so
1: funny because I remember like like, several years ago, a bunch of my different vegan friends and I who live in the neighborhood, we were all like, oh my, okay, it's Super Bowl Sunday, let's get together, we'll make like, we'll make snacks, we'll watch the game. We made the snacks. We completely forgot to turn the game on until it was like half over. <laughs> I just, Only for half-time. halftime. Yeah, well, we did want to see the ads and like, um, I yeah i mean football like i i I like sports i'm just not into football football is so boring like give me a hockey game or something but yeah um but anyway so yeah i'm all about the you know it's it's like i'm all about doing like the decadent vegan food but the fact is at the end of the day that's definitely not what i'm eating you know breakfast lunch and dinner what are you that's what i'm making for fun so You know, one of the things that's being very, very busy, there are absolutely a lot of times when I just end up doing the sort of takeout thing, which again, as a vegan, you can, it's so, obviously we're lucky to live live in New York, but you can just anywhere get, you can get Thai food, you can get like Chinese, you can get all these different um, kinds of food where if the base is just like vegetables and tofu, you're in good shape, you know, but I I figured out my go-to dinner for when I'm actually cooking, but I have no time. I fit, like is it's I sort of perfected this years ago, and I'm obsessed with it. So um, you just you make like a pot of couscous that takes I think two minutes um, before you even start. You um, you put chickpeas on a cookie sheet. You cover it in whatever like olive oil, coconut oil, whatever you want, and um, And then you season it how you like Now, because i like things spicy i just cover it in hot sauce like Mm. tons of hot sauce um but not everybody you know wants to go that far you could also just like put some paprika or seasoning or whatever so you put that in the oven turn it up high let it start roasting make your couscous and then um and then i just steam a pot of kale which again takes like you know a few minutes Mm. like i think i think what takes the longest is waiting for the water to boil so all of this is so fast, it's so easy. And then when everything's done, you just put the couscous and then the kale in a bowl and you pour the chickpeas and whatever remaining oil there is on top and it kind of like mm. makes the kale all like, you know, like it just sort of makes it like extra cooked and flavorful it is the, it is so delicious. It's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. You've got all these elements, you know, you've got like the green leafy vegetables, you've got the, like, you know, you've got the vegetable protein. Cause you know, everybody loves to freak out about protein. Um, <laughs> when they're really probably not getting enough fiber, but you know, <laughs> um, but of course you've got that in there too. And, um, it's such an easy meal. It's such an easy like if you just worked out and you're like dead, you still probably have enough energy to make this, um, and you can mix it up, guys. Do a Buddha bowl. You could put rice, chickpeas,
0: mushrooms, tofu. Add edamame. Do a tahini sauce with lemon instead. I mean, these are all super simple, easy recipes. I love a Buddha bowl.
1: Oh my God, me too. And the thing is, if I have a little more time and like I actually wanna cook, there are so many things you can do. You can make the most incredible. I mean, the thing, one of the things I like doing is just pulling non vegan recipes you know, like, and making them vegan and much better.
0: Swapping out, yeah, swapping out the ingredients. No,
1: exactly. And, and I mean, and the thing is, all the substitutes are there now for you to do that. You know, whether you're talking about making a quiche or, you know, like a lasagna or um, just, I mean, literally anything. Oh, I love making curries. I love making like a big, yeah. Like we're definitely getting into curry season now that we're getting out of summer. It's amazing. It's always amazing to me that you know when people hear that you're vegan, they'll be like, well, "What do you eat?" And I'm like, "What? What don't I eat?" They're like, "They're like, what? Like a few things I don't eat." There's five know? dead animals yeah, I don't exactly. eat. exactly. And the things that come out of them, and like I eat everything else. Like
0: that is a good way of putting it.
1: Really good. The things that come out of them. Yeah, I mean, and I love baking, you know, and again, it's just like, it's, it's just the possibilities are endless. They're limitless. It's just we literally take a few very gross things off the table and then everything else is fair game. And I feel like it opened, I mean, granted, I was in high school when I went vegan. So I was probably very much in the high school mode of like, you know, just eating like certain you know, not very healthy things that I liked. But I mean, my mom was always going to make me eat vegetables and brown rice Mm. no matter what. But I just feel like my palate expanded so much after I went vegan because I actually had to like explore. I had to, you know what it was? It was that I had to start thinking. I had to actually start giving a little bit of thought to what I was eating. Mm. And I mean, the thing is these days as a vegan, it's so easy to just, you know, you really don't have to put much thought into it. But literally just because I was making the mental shift of like, okay, well, I'm not eating this anymore. So what am I going to eat instead? Suddenly I started actually making a point of only eating things that I really wanted to eat. I wasn't going to just eat, you know, well, this this cheese is in front of me, so I'll eat it. This yogurt's in front of me, so I'll eat it. It's like, well, if I'm actually going to think about what I'm eating, I'm going to eat something I enjoy. Yeah. And I think it was just such a healthier approach to food. It's a
0: more mindful consumption route of of when you're eating. Like, I agree. I didn't really think too much about food beforehand. I kind of just stuck to foods that I knew that I ate, but I now as a vegan I'm like oh I want to try that oh my god there's these are exotic fruits that I've never had like I've become so much more of a foodie and also part of it is because we want to advocate to others like come on board and try this you're not missing out on anything
1: right absolutely
0: and the same goes for fashion and skincare and all that like I now look at the ingredients in my skincare and I look at the ingredients in my food and that's a good thing I think so as opposed to like just going into a store and throwing like a whole bag of chips that have 25 ingredients in
1: them i'm like oh i would have never even thought to read that i think people are worried that they're going to have to spend all their time like reading ingredients whatever it's like we already said you don't have to yeah. but it really is not a bad thing to actually just that little pause you know the little pause you have as a vegan where before you eat something you're like is it vegan before you buy something you're like is it vegan it's not bad to have that pause for a huge number of reasons where, you know, you're just thinking, do I want to eat this? Do I want to buy this? Do I want to support this? And, you know, we were talking before about how people will be like, Oh, well, you know, you're probably supporting sweatshops and and this and that, and this and that. Well, I think actually vegans tend to be much more mindful about human rights issues, mm-hmm. about environmental issues, about all these different things. And I think that's because we're used to taking that pause. Mm-hmm. And when you do, Mm-hmm. it's it's causing you to think about the whole mm-hmm. spectrum of, of what you're consuming. And so I think that most of the vegans I know are actually much more thoughtful about these things. And much more sustainable.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I am just so grateful to know you, to be a part of everything that you're doing, that you've dedicated your life towards working towards fighting animal abuse. And the fact that you've turned it into a career is even that more impactful because you're now doing this all day long <laughs> for work, for activism, for just the animals and i just
1: so appreciate you thank you so much i mean i feel the same way about you you totally like i love the way you have come into this so full throttle it's like Mm -hmm. as soon it's so clear that as soon as you went vegan and became an activist you knew this was right and you didn't feel like you needed to apologize and you just have like come in guns blazing and Mm -hmm. like and the thing is everyone should feel that level of confidence in mm-hmm. in what they're doing as an animal rights activist because you are advocating for what is right it yeah. doesn't matter the whatever pushback whatever you know whatever people want to say at the end of the day you're right mm-hmm. and and that should just give people all the fire in the world that they need. Yeah. And you can now
0: look at those comments of people that are just angry and hateful and mean. Somebody wrote on my thing, the world would be a better place without you the other day. And oh those God. comments, actually, they those comments used to destroy me. They used to break my heart. They used to really get to me. But I've gotten to a point where you just recognize that as just another step in making somebody vegan. It's just their defense mechanism at first. And honestly, maybe there is something that happened in their lives that made them so hateful and that I have compassion in my heart for them. I at least try to, you know, like we're here advocating for the voiceless, for the animals and, clearly something went wrong in that person's life for them to say that to somebody that they don't even know somebody that's literally just trying to help animals to make the world more sustainable I mean I don't know like I, we're doing the best that we can here and if I knew what the right way to do everything was then I would do it and I urge people that if you don't agree with certain ways of activism that I do that Ashley does that PETA does in general then go out and do it in your own way that you think is going to be effective because we're just here trying to create change, and we've seen impact from the actions that we've taken and that's why we continue to do them
1: well and there is no run one right way just like you just you were talking about before and if you look at other you know civil rights movements throughout history and that are still going on today they didn't they didn't accomplish things whether you're talking about the women's movement whether you're talking about the movement for racial equality whether you're talking about the movement for the rights of, you know, of people who are gay and lesbian and, and, you know, and transgender, like they didn't accomplish things by, by one method. Mm -hmm. It, it, these were movements with people at all different levels. There were movement, you know, there were people in these movements working on legislation. There were people, you know, I mean, the women's movement is a great example because, I appreciate the fact that, you know, like I can, I can run around with no bra on and not think about it, but there were women in the seventies burning their bras. You know what I mean? I don't need to do that. Like, I I don't like, thank, thank you. Like, I don't feel the need to do that. Now I can, you know, I can make this choice. Now it was a much bigger deal to do what they were doing then, you know, like all of these movements had people working on things from legislation to like being very aggressive, very militant, very in your face. Mm-hmm. And it took that whole spectrum in all these cases to make the progress that they've all made, mm-hmm. you know. And we're
0: doing that with animals. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that we do need to continue trying different tactics and, you know, just keep at it because the animals need us. And I always recommend people taking a break if they need to, if they need to like reassess and they need to just decompress. I think that that's really important too. But you know, it all goes back to, it's like these people, these men regulating women's bodies We're people trying to regulate animals bodies. It's like leave other
1: bodies alone. Like who are you? Yes. Like seriously to me, Everything comes down to that. Like, how, how can anyone argue with that? No one else's body belongs to you. No other being belongs to you, whether you're talking about yeah, women belonging to men, whether you're talking about, you know, like, buying other people to to use for labor. I mean, none of it. That is, nobody ever will belong to you. Nobody. And that goes for animals, too. You don't have a right to their bodies. You don't have a right to their reproductive systems. And... I think if you really sit down and and really make yourself think about that concept like you can't deny it. No no ethical person with what I would consider to be modern values around, you know, you know, again, any of these other issues. If you consider yourself a feminist then you should understand the concept of not owning someone else's body, of not of not being able to take advantage of somebody else's reproductive system mm-hmm. like that should just be nobody should need to explain that to you that should be obvious we've
0: devalued their lives to such an extent that even the language that we use like kill two birds with one stone and um, you know the world is your oyster right like, <laughs> yeah uh, no it's actually not because oysters are <laughs> their own individuals um, right. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what the So the language that we use, and actually one of the next uh, videos that I'll be posting soon, guys, is talking about these PETA idioms where PETA actually says, no, instead of saying kill two birds with one stone, you should say feed two birds with one scone. And there's another one where it's like people will say to beat a dead horse over the head with a stick. That's so gross. That is so (laughs) insane. Instead, it's feed a fed horse. with like a carrot or apple or something. <laughs> yeah, sure. So it's like the language that we use is also important. And that's why PETA's on the forefront because they're changing these stereotypes and these deeply ingrained beliefs that we've had since the beginning of time. And it might sound weird at first, but
1: when you think about it it's like really fucked up why are we beating a dead horse (laughs) yes why are we beating anybody like we don't we don't need this and like this, this is not helpful and that's the thing i mean we really yeah to me animal rights is we talk about all these different components we talk about eating vegan we talk about not wearing animals What it ultimately comes down to is fundamentally changing the way we think about animals and the way we interact with them. It's us not viewing animals as commodities, it's us not viewing living beings as there for us to use and exploit. And, you know, I I think the world can only be better from more of that attitude because, you know, naturally that should carry over to humans as well. And, you know, I think we can all agree, like, exploitation, no, not a good thing. Mm -mm. Um, Yeah.
0: And speaking up for the animals, how you would want to be spoken up for, you would damn well want one of us on the catwalk of the Coach (laughs) Fashion Show if your skin was
1: ripped off your body for a bag or a leather jacket. Right, that someone was going to say was ugly in, like, one season. If it was, yeah, like, just, no. No,
0: we're not doing it anymore. And so, Coach and the other industries that use animals, I hope that – Lesson is learned. And that by next year, we're not using leathers. We will come at you for wool and other things, though. So
1: so. Oh, absolutely. And you have alternatives to all of these things, and you know it. Yeah.
0: And you're lucky if we're in your fashion show. Like, I even commented, I'm like... I just did all that unpaid labor for you, all of that publicity. I mean, please, CNN, People Magazine, Glamour Magazine. Yeah. where's your check? Daily
1: Mail. Where the fuck is my check? Seriously, you you need to sue them for unpaid wages because, I mean, come I on. Damn well. Let's be real. Like New York Fashion Week is is. Every year there are all these articles about whether New York Fashion Week is even still relevant. Yeah. It was this year. Yeah. Thank You're welcome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks to us. Somebody had to make yeah. it interesting. Dragging, dragging Fashion Week into 2023. Oh, like, absolutely. yeah, having having the conversations that matter.
0: Yes. And on that note, Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you?
1: Um, thank you for having me. This is so much fun as always. Um people can find me on Instagram at AshlovesMongo. Um, they can find me on Twitter under the same handle. Um, people can find PETA at PETA.org and also, um, just on any of the social media channels just at PETA. I highly recommend that, that people do actually go to the PETA accounts and watch these videos. Don't take our word for it. Just, just watch the videos and be very honest with yourself. The videos
0: speak for themselves for sure. And guys, you can find me at It's Jamie's Corner and thank you so much for watching. If you didn't see our first episode, definitely go watch that. It's called The Truth About PETA. It's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and we talk about all of the PETA myths and we bust the shit out of them. So on that note, guys, thanks for watching. Until next time, bye.